The following sermon was delivered on Sunday, November 10th, 2019, at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation in Andover by the Reverend Alex Klingenberg. The title of the sermon is In the Dark. Here begins the sermon. So this is the time of year where I have to remind myself that I love the darkness because it gets dark at 4.30. But the first time that I remember falling in love with darkness was during a meteor shower. It was my very first year of church camp. Marwood was a Unitarian Universalist church camp that I went to in northern Michigan. And what I remember is that the counselors let us stay up way past when we were supposed to go to bed. And they told us to get our sleeping bags and a pillow and to follow them up this really tall hill. So we walked and we walked and we found a big clearing and we all lay down and we were all chattering as 12 year olds are wont to do and giggling. And then the first of the meteors started to streak across the sky. And all of us just got completely quiet. We just watched them go. It was a holy moment for me, a holy hour even. And I think since that time, I've noticed throughout my life that some of my most holy moments happen in the dark. Singing around a campfire watching the aurora borealis from a butte in North Dakota, walking down a moonlit road outside of Portland, Oregon, and in the night feedings of early motherhood. Perhaps ironically, though, I am a person who loves to go to sleep early, so I do not always see when the darkness sets in, although right now I definitely do. I am a person who has a really hard time staying up late. In fact, when I was right out of college, I lived in San Francisco, and all of my friends used to make fun of me because I would fall asleep in rock concerts. I would literally go to a show, I would find a chair, I would be listening, and I would be out. (laughs) Um, But it turns out that my natural body rhythm, which is to go to bed around 8 or 9 p.m. and wake up around 6 a.m., Uh, You know, there's been some research that says that that has been the way that we would normally have slept for thousands and thousands of years. So my bedtime even might have been on the later end of things, especially in the winter. So before artificial light, right, became the norm, scientists believed that we went to bed right after the sunset and slept for about four hours. And then we would wake up for a couple of hours in the middle of the night, and then we would go back to sleep for second sleep, for another four hours. And the idea of these first and second sleeps are pretty well documented in a bunch of different literature, um, but also in terms of monasteries and abbeys and when people would pray. So in the 1990s, researcher Thomas Ware did a study to see if us modern human beings still had this pattern of sleep within us. So he had participants do their normal day, go about their life, go to work, but then they would come to his sort of research laboratory and they were in the complete darkness from about 6 p.m. until 8 a.m. 
so a simulated winter night. And the sleep study found that the night led to two bouts of concentrated sleep, just like we were just saying. So there's this wakeful period in the middle lasting a couple of hours. And you might think that lying in bed awake for two hours would be a sort of torture, but Ware says that's not what he found in these studies. That the people in the sleep study described it as a kind of quiet, meditative state. So I read this book that was called Waking Up to the Dark by Clark Strand. And the research that I'm describing, this, this research from the 90s, he uses it to draw a link between darkness and spirituality. Now, I have been talking about darkness and spirituality for as long as I can remember, and it was one of those books where I was like, ah, he got to it first. (laughs) But it's a beautiful book, and I highly recommend it. So I'm going to read just a little quote from it. He says this. Many of us wake up in the middle of the night, and we can't go back to sleep. We worry about money and our health, about our kids and our marriages, about how little sleep we're getting and how tired we will be the following day. We often turn on the lights to get through those sleepless hours, or we surf the internet, or we watch TV. Sometimes we take a pill our doctor has prescribed to manage insomnia rather than risk waking up in the dark. In popular idiom, the waking period between dark and daybreak is called the hour of the wolf, (laughs) It has an eerie feel to it, a time when all of our fears and vulnerabilities seem to loom large in our minds and in our hearts. The hour of the wolf reminds us of our own mortality, of the things we have yet to achieve, of loved ones we have concerns about. So when I think about the origins of religion, which I do a lot, I find myself imagining a time before civilization. After a long day of hunting or gathering or preparing food or whatever else it was that pre-agrarian man did, the sun would set and darkness would set in. And with that darkness, danger, cold, a sense of incredible physical vulnerability. Imagine now the sense of comfort that a ring of fire and a group of people that you know would be. The cold darkness of night pressing in all around you, but the faces of those you know and love illuminated and warmed by the fire. Every evening, our ancestors faced that inevitable sunset, the chill at the end of the day, and they stopped working. They gathered together, they told stories, and they rested. I think about how small it must have felt, right? And what an incredible sense of awe and vastness it must have been to look up and see that blanket of stars. And I guess I just believe this is where religion was born. This is where community was born. It was born around those fires, right? It was born in darkness. It was born of the vulnerability we felt. And it was born of of looking up into the sky and realizing how small we must be. 
And I live in a city, and I have lived in the city for most of my life. It is literally never dark in a city. It's never dark. I will occasionally walk to the bathroom in the middle of the night, and my, my entire apartment is just illuminated by weird orange lights. You know, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm never in the dark. And I am not one of those people who is suggesting that we go back to the days before civilization. I am a big fan of my heat. I really, really like all of the things that I have. But I do think we've lost something core to our spiritual well-being by never allowing ourselves to be in the dark. With artificial light, we have found ways to avoid, sometimes for years, just like in the story I've told, we've tried to stop the darkness from coming in, right? We work until all hours of the morning sometimes. I know I do. I will get on a Netflix roll and I'll be like, ah, it is very late now, friends. <laughs> and it's all that light. You know, we're not programmed to be, you know, in that kind of light all the time. And I do think that because we have conquered this sort of fundamental power, right, we are overcome with an illusion that we're in control. We've lost our sense of cosmic <clears throat> vulnerability. We have almost no time set aside in our day to rest and be together. We have to do that very intentionally now. It's not naturally built into our cycles anymore. And nighttime used to be a constant reminder that we have but this small time to live and work. And it used to drive us into communities. So the less that we're a part of the natural environment, I think the less that we connect with each other and with a sense of something more, with a sense of the divine. Darkness, more than anything, was a physical reminder that we need each other to survive. And I think this is just as true now as it was then, that we need each other to survive. We can work well into the night, but we shouldn't work well into the night. I'm going to go ahead and put a should on that one. I think we get so obsessed with doing and achieving that we forget that we are loved entirely as we are. We don't owe productivity to each other. We don't owe productivity to the divine, right? And I think some of our cosmic fears that we're not sort of noticing in this sort of big space, natural space, get turned against each other. And we, we start to look at each other as enemies when, in fact, we are each other's survival mechanism. So Strand goes on to say that sleep specialists have reported that the best treatment for insomnia, the best treatment for the hour of the wolf, is to just tell patients it's normal. That's it. Right? Just to stop worrying so much about it and go to bed a little earlier. Um, and patients, if they're really told this, if they really understand the science of it, they just stop worrying about it and they just embrace that period of time when they wake up. They never ask for medication again. Now, this is not true of everyone. Some of us do need medication to help us sleep. I'm not against medication. I'm just saying that there is something true, I think, to our biology in this. So, if we give ourselves enough time to sleep, we will naturally rise for a portion of the night. 
And during that waking period, we might anxiously worry about our lives, or we could acknowledge this wakefulness as a natural holy time. The tenor of waking changes substantially when we welcome it. So, one of the things that Strand points out, and I mentioned this earlier, but I think it's really cool, is that every religious tradition has practiced a night prayer or meditation. It was specifically designed around this period of night waking. So Muhammad taught that the form of devotion most loved by Allah was the prayer of David, who would sleep half the night and then get up and pray for a third of the night and then sleep for a sixth of the night. In Judaism, the midnight repair starts six hours after nightfall and lasts for two hours. In Christianity, the night office, which is practiced by Catholic monks, starts at midnight, and again, it lasts two hours. This, too, was the hour of enlightenment for Buddha. But perhaps most importantly, at one time or another, prayer and meditation was practiced by everyone, naturally, because of the darkness of the night sky. Midnight was a holy time. A time when boundaries between the world and the great mystery seem at their very thinnest. The in-between time that is sacred time and spiritual rest and renewal is akin to the deepest levels of meditation, right? So they do this research on your brain and it's the same as if you were meditating, only you don't have to work for it, it just happens. There's no need to carve out a special time or a prayer rug, though I do those things too. It is part of our animal nature to spend this in-between time reconnecting with ourselves and with something bigger than us. And it's also true that darkness has been linked to all sorts of health things, right? So people who work at night tend to have worse health problems. Um, Having, having a healthy, restful sleep can suppress cancer growth. I mean, this is pretty well documented. Um, so there's this growing movement that I am a huge fan of called the night sky movement or the dark sky movement, right, where people are putting caps on, on, the, on the lights that are on the streets and things like this. Um, it's also one of the best ways that we as a culture could begin to really affect climate change is if we just reduced the amount of light that we were putting out into the world. So I have a dream. It is a, a lovely dream. We'll see if it ever comes to pass of having a darkness retreat, which would basically entail this exact kind of thing where you would take a break from your life. You would come out. We would turn off all artificial light after um, the sun went down and we could use candles we could have fire, we could sing and chat with one another but we wouldn't be using our phones or our computers or any artificial light and I do think this would be a spiritual place to hang out I think we would get a lot out of doing this together so I'm going to end with another quote from Clark Strand please read this book, it's just the best book ever called Waking Up to the Dark. He suggests this. Turn off the lights and leave them off. Claim your place in the dark and let your body take over. 
solving problems the mind could not, making all things simple that are made complicated by the light. The bad choice, the false ambition, the things society would compete to have us value, which, without the thousand-watt voltage of an artificially illuminated world, are revealed for the destructive illusions that they are. Turn off the lights and leave them off. And in short, you will remember who you are.